0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Show. I'm Kevin Boyler, filling in this week for Josh Ayler. The rest of the regular crew is here, though. Barton Simmons, Trey Scott, and also later Connor Tapp in Connor's Corner. Corner,
1: how's it going today, guys? It's great. A little different feel here, you know. Uh, Excited to have you on the show, on the set. I'm excited to be here. Thanks
2: for welcoming. I, uh... Miss Josh had a family matter couldn't attend. I wore a hoodie in his honor. I will miss having Josh's big bet this week, but I'm mm-hmm. excited for you to guide us through this thing.
0: I'll do my best to uh, deliver Josh's picks with authority. Oh, so you're so Wait, you're, are
2: you actually going to like say what he picked?
0: So, so Josh, you're
1: so you are bringing Josh's picks to the table? Josh didn't just trust you to make the picks yourself. No, Josh oh. delivered his wow.
0: picks. I'm reading his picks. Wow.
1: So, so we wow. Can
0: keep it consistent right. with uh, Josh uh, making sure his picks are okay. consistent throughout the show. Right. So today on the show, we'll be doing midseason awards. We'll also talk a little transfer portal and Friday Night Football. Of course, we'll get Take a Palooza where Trey and Barton will deliver their takes. And uh, we'll also pick a few games for this weekend. So make sure you're dropping your questions in for the crew here in the comments section. We'll also be looking for a fan of the week. So if you're lucky enough, we might choose you get your questions in right now let's get things started with our mid-season awards what do you say guys let's do it all right let's start with
1: the best team so far who do we got so i actually think that this is uh, an obvious choice okay i think ohio state has clearly been the best team in college football i I understand that maybe lsu's played a couple more tough tough opponents than ohio state um and so if, if that's your criteria, then sure, go for it. But I, I, as based on who they played, um, the opponents that put in front of them, the way they've beaten those opponents, the complete body of work they've shown on both sides of the football, offense and defense, the way they can beat you throwing the ball down the field with Justin Fields, the way they can beat you running it with J.K. Dobbins. If Justin Fields isn't throwing it effectively, he'll just take off and run with his legs. Uh, I, I just think Ohio State, to this point, has been the most dominant, the most impressive team in college football.
2: Does the does the DNA of Ohio State feel differently to you than it has in the years past? Do you feel like they've shed the maybe the tendency to go on the road and lay an egg? Like, are we worried about that at all?
1: It does feel different. I don't know why. I, I mean, when they have a new head coach, obviously they have a new head coach. But I, I you know, the for one, defense travels, and I think by the by. Jeff Halfley, Greg Madison coming in as, as co-defensive coordinators and simplifying things on that side of the football, just letting their athletes be athletes, letting them be better than the team across them instead of putting them in compromising situations and trying to be overly aggressive. Um, that, that's really worked out well. Chase Young obviously is, is, has been one of the most dominant players in the country at defensive end. So, you know, I, I think that between that, between the different ways they can beat you on offense – Uh, it it feels like they're playing a little looser. Um,
3: Yeah, I I think that's – I would agree with that observation. I think it might be useful to illustrate that last season, uh, in some of the hiccups that kind of forsaged that loss to Purdue, you've given up 31 points against Oregon State, 28 to TCU, uh, 26 to Indiana, and we're just – like, if you look at Ohio State's results this year, like, those kind of performances are just absolutely not there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point because, you know, we, we're talking about Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins so much. And we are talking about Chase Young. But, like, you know, Connor starts talking. I bring it up. Cincinnati scored zero points against Ohio State. Like, Miami, Ohio scored five. Nebraska scored seven. That's, like, college football playoff number one overall seed sort of resume contenders. I'm pumped about their schedule going forward. I never thought – like, we did not talk in the preseason about Wisconsin versus Ohio State that much. We talked way more about Nebraska versus Ohio State. But that game on October 26th is going to be awesome. It, it, I mean, both teams it's probably, – it's probably a prequel to the Big Ten Championship game we'll have in December.
1: Is, is there another team not named Ohio State that, that, were, that deserves this spot? I mean, I, 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 I believe in Ohio State, um, but who's, who else is out there that, that probably has a, a strong case?
0: Well, We can get to that in a couple minutes when we get to our top four. But, Barton, I think you led by saying that it's clear and obvious to you and to many of us, I think, that Ohio State is the best. But I still think that's somewhat of an unpopular pick when you look at they only have nine first-place votes in the AP poll. Clemson, Alabama, LSU all have more at this point. And, Trey, you point to that Wisconsin game. I think that could be the coming-out party when it becomes obvious to everyone else that they are the best team in college football. But let's move on and talk a little bit about the best player. Who are we going with?
1: I think this is another one that's, that's obvious. You think this is really obvious? I think this is obvious. I think there's, there's, there's no debating of this, okay? The best player in college football to this point has been Joe Burrow. Now, as in all these things, this is the mid-year awards, and, and, and things can drop off from here. There's going to be other opportunities for others to pass him, and, and certainly there's, there's probably as many good candidates for like a Heisman-type award this year than we've seen in a long time. But Joe Burrow, given what he's done in, uh, against Texas on the road, against a really good Florida team, against everyone else that they've played, he has been remarkable, not only in his growth, but just in the way he's performed. When you look, he leads the nation in air yards per attempt. And that that and, and again, that measures uh, how many yards guys. in the air before, before the catch. So if you throw a bubble screen, a guy takes it 80 yards, you get negative one yards in in your air yards there. So like the the, the way that I think he has operated in terms of making big throws, making difficult throws, attacking down the field, hitting tight windows, has had some performances against good defenses. um, I just think Joe Burrow has absolutely been the story of the college football season. And I think that if you look at, the way he's he's projecting right now, if he keeps on playing like this, he came into this year as the gritty underdog, mm-hmm. the guy that's um, hey maybe LSU has got a quarterback and they'll have a chance. No, like he's all of a sudden. Not in the conversation as a first-round draft pick. He is going to be in the conversation as the number one overall draft pick if he continues to play like this the rest of the year.
2: That's crazy to me. But it also, like two years ago, Baker Mayfield was getting yeah Maybe he's a first-round pick buzz, and then he goes number one overall. Kyler Murray a year ago was still going to play baseball, and then he goes number one overall. Um, I have a few things about Joe Burrow. I think, first of all, I think he broke Texas, and I think it's possible he might end up breaking – I mean, just the aerial assault he had and just – I've never seen anything like that. that. That was just a sterling performance. He's been insane all year. The second thing I want to say is I think – I'm starting to think that, they, that he takes down Alabama in a month. Like, I'm starting because, – because you talk about guys who, who could be sort of the other candidates to be best player in college football. I think there's a few. I think you've got Jalen Hurts. You've got Tua Barloa, You've got Justin Fields. I think Chase Young, who you mentioned earlier, is probably would probably be my number two vote. But Joe Burrow – he looks like he, he's not the stats the stats are great, but he actually looks like the best player in college football, too. And I, I love watching him. Like his stare to the sideline when he's like looking at, I just think he's almost like an iconic player.
1: Well, you got to have some edge at the quarterback position to beat Alabama. You have to have some confidence. You have he to be able to stare in the, the you know the face of the tiger or face of the the elephant, I guess, so to speak, and and, um, and, and not not back down, show yep. no show no flinch. I think he's got that. I agree Chase Young probably is, is a fair candidate. Um, I think there's a couple other good candidates, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, hey, Evan Weaver at Cal has been great. Isaiah Simmons at Clemson has been unbelievable. But I think because the position he plays, the way he's been doing it, uh, Joe Burrow has just been awesome. And, 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 you know, you can make a case that Tua has been pretty much perfect as well. That said, again, when you're talking about those, those air yards – to is 73rd in the country in that, uh, meaning he's throwing a lot of these quick screen passes and his receivers are doing the work. I think if you could collect the Alabama receiving core and and turn it into one sort of being, mm-hmm. I, maybe they're the best best player in college football because awesome. those guys have been awesome. But in terms of Joe Burrow and what he's done and how he's done it, I, I think it's hard to debate it. I, Connor, go ahead.
3: Yeah, no, I I'm just fascinated by the the Florida game last week and how their incredible offensive performance almost feels like it's been glossed over, but they averaged more than 10 yards per play against Florida's defense, which we've all been talking about is like really good and enough to carry like an okay offense to maybe winning the SEC East. And I know Florida lost some key players injured over the course of that game, but like, LSU only, they scored 42 points, and they only needed four third downs to do it in. And it's, it just boggles my mind how the, the leap they've taken.
2: Yeah, they were dominant in, this, uh, in Baton Rouge. And the thing with LSU is with Joe Burrow sort of leading this, this charge, if LSU breaks your serve, aka if LSU gets a defensive stop on you, you're toast. Happened against Florida. That was a close game throughout, but you sort of felt LSU had a touchdown lead the whole time they get one stop, it's over. And it was. Same thing against Texas. One stop, it's over. That defense doesn't even have to be great. And they've got plenty of talent. Yeah. They've got a secondary that we're going to look back at that secondary in five years and be like, oh, my God. Look at these guys making plays in the NFL. They were all on the same field at the same time. Delbert Stingley, Fulton. That's insane. It's kind of like what we do now with Odell Beckham and, and Jarvis Landry. But, yeah, I think LSU, best player in college football, yes. And, you know, you want to talk about best team, I might have gone with him at number one.
1: Well, I mean, to Connor's point and, and real quickly, I mean, if you just sort of take like we're right now, we're in the thick of it. We're in the midst of it. And LSU's doing this week in, week out. And all of a sudden we've, we've become accustomed to it uh, pretty quickly here. But how crazy is this? I mean, talk about like this. Just, just two years ago, let's say if I were to tell you uh, six games into the season, a bad day for LSU is 42 points. A bad day. Their worst day of the year so far is 42 points. That's, this, that's the new reality with LSU, and, and it's really largely because of Joe Burrow. I love the Joe Burrow
2: discussion. We always talk about his edge, and we talked about it last year. He didn't like sliding, and he sort of, he'd reel off these chunk rushing yards. He has the same edge that he plays with. But Connor, when we were at SEC Media Days, this guy, like, he's 22, I guess, but he carried himself like he's 32. And he kind of <laughs> went in there and just, like, Eye contact, like, I was like, oh, my God, like, stop. Like, I can't, I can't <laughs> keep
3: this up with you, Have you man. seen the video of him, like, looking at Maria Taylor after the game? He's, league? like,
2: he's fierce, and he's competitive, and he's just, he carries himself. You watch his interviews with his teammates or with Maria Taylor, and he's like, we've got a lot more to accomplish. And you sense a guy, like, he's been around the block. His dad's a football coach. He, he played at Ohio State. Like, he's carrying himself like an NFL veteran with, like, a team of college players. It's, it's been great to watch.
0: Joe Burrow is leading the number one scoring attack in the entire country, but I can't help but wonder how much is due to his success and how much is due to uh, what Joe Brady has done in that passing scheme that he's brought in from the NFL. Moving on to the biggest disappointment in college football this year, who are we going with? I think
2: this is another <laughs> obvious one. Okay, UCLA. For sure. Yes. Yes, yeah. right. And, look, let me just say, last year Bart and I got into, honestly, a spat on the show because he was sort of believing in Chip Kelly. I wasn't. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute.
1: Are you claiming are you I claiming right. victory in this bat? Victory. Tell me how bad it been was. All it was, all it was last year was that I predicted they would win another game or two. Wow. And they did win another game or two. So nine. I won that bat. But yes, this year, we if, if you expected, and I did this year, I don't know that we have we had this debate. I didn't make a bet on it, but I expected a step forward this year in year two under Chip Kelly. It's not come. It's not like, in a big way. It's not come. They've not been. They're they're not improved in terms of their physicality. They're not improved defensively. They're not improved. the quarterback play hasn't evolved and developed. Uh, the depth isn't showing up. Like there's just nothing is showing up on this field to give you optimism for the future. I guess Chip Kelly still might be growing some bamboo. You know, maybe it's just taking a little longer. And and it, when it pops, they're going to be looking. Beautiful growing bamboo. That's his deal, you know. You, you can't see how much bamboo is growing beneath the surface, and then all of a sudden, it you Maybe. keep on watering, it blows up, and that's the Chip Kelly thing. Well, <laughs> that bamboo needs to get rolling. We need to see see some of that bamboo at this point because uh, it's
2: not there right now. We flash the graphic on the screen. We've got a podcast audience that listens to this, so I'll kind of read out the worst of the stats. First of all, they're one in five. Um, they are 87th in the country in points per game. They are 102 in rushing offense as far as yards per play, and The whole thing with Oregon and Chip Kelly was while you're watching it, you sort of thought, okay, they're a great passing team. No, like the beauty of that was they had an incredible ground attack, and that hasn't carried. Number 128 in total defense in yards per play. It's better than only two teams in college football.
1: Vandy and UMass.
2: Vandy and UMass. Those are the two teams better than. Uh, And then Dorian Thompson Robinson, former top 247 recruit. 11 touchdowns, six interceptions, completion percentage below
1: 60. What is
2: the fallout
1: with Chip Kelly, Barton? There's no fallout. I mean, they're gonna. it's not like he's on the hot seat. I mean, Chip Kelly is not getting fired this year. He could lose the rest of his games. He's not getting fired this year. If UCLA, you know, UCLA goes 1-11. Yeah, he's not going to get fired.
0: Well, let me see. They're 1-5, but their one win is against a ranked opponent, which is more than okay. a lot of college programs can say at this point right now in the season. So is that a sign that maybe there is some hope for the future?
1: I mean, well, we thought it was. Yeah, I mean, there's, the Pac-12 is... Is the way the Pac-12 works is that you know pretty much every game is is kind of losable. Pretty much every game is kind of winnable. Um, but UCLA looks like the worst team in the Pac-12. Uh, well,
2: well, and that Washington State win that looked great a month ago, but that doesn't look so good anymore. Right. They've lost three straight Pac-12 games. Right.
1: And and I just I, but but I I think I still think you just made this huge splash, paid this guy a ton of money. And you're going to – I don't care what the record is. You're going to bail on them after two years. I'm telling you, there's no chance Chip Kelly's gone after this season. You can bank that. Bank that? Yeah. That's a -a take-a-palooza. Yeah.
0: We're not at take-a-palooza just yet coming up soon, but let's move on to a topic where I'm fairly certain we won't hear about another Pac-12 team. It's the midseason top four. We already know that Ohio State is our number one best team in the country. Who are the other three?
1: Uh, So the top four – I went Ohio State one, LSU two, Alabama three, Oklahoma four. Uh, I think you could make a case that Wisconsin deserves to be in there for. Um, What are you smiling about right now?
2: No, I'm I'm laughing about a lot of things here. Uh, We've already (laughs) talked about one and two. Two weeks ago, we had this whole big Clemson discussion, and you guys kind of like railroaded me for staying pat, staying pat with I had Clemson at number one. I, I don't know how they're not in your top four.
1: What, what, what the, has Oklahoma
2: what, done that Clemson hasn't?
1: Well, they haven't almost lost to a 500 team. Okay. I mean, that's, is, isn't but, that enough? Like, what's the, the, I, the margin for error doesn't have to be that much at this point in the, in the process. This is a mid-season award. I'm not giving this season as a mid-season award a top four Clemson gets zero credit for what it did last year. Okay. Zero. zero. Yes.
2: Well, that's just hard for me to do because I, I – look.
1: Well, we, you need to figure it out. No, and do I have it.
2: Alabama too. And, but they really – they don't look like the number two team. But I have Clemson one, Alabama two because what they've done – it's hard for look, me to it, ignore what they have last year. That is not a,
1: that, if, if the playoffs start now, yeah. I, I'm, I'm willing to concede that Clemson, because they've been there, maybe they should be in the playoffs. If we If we had to pick the playoffs today, that's not what the question was. I, I was asked to give a mid-season <laughs> top four. To this point in the season, if you're going to call Clemson a top four team, then I, I think that that is, that is based purely on what they did last year. Sure. And that's not to say they haven't had really good A&M. moments. They've had some great games. They've, they they blew out Florida State last yeah. week, and they looked great doing it. They might be get, catching their stride a little bit. Maybe in a couple weeks they will be a top four team. Maybe they'll be number two. Maybe they'll be one. I don't know. But right now, they still have that A&M game that didn't look that good. They still have that North Carolina game that they that what, – what A&M – are you saying A&M is bad? Yeah. Okay. I'm saying A&M Alabama, is bad. Alabama,
2: that's their signature win.
1: Yeah, it's a signature win, but Alabama never – like, that That was never in doubt. But but bottom line is that this is still a Clemson team that has a lot to prove. My, my hunch is they're going to prove it. Yeah. Uh, by the end of the year, they'll look really good. By the end of the – like, this is – none of this is going to even matter. But if we're talking right now – I think it's hard to make the case that Clemson has been a better-looking team than Oklahoma or Wisconsin.
2: I'll move on from from my nosebleed section on Saturday, watching Oklahoma. Something feels a little bit different about this team, and I don't mean that in a positive way. So their defense was awesome, nine sacks. And they should have beaten Texas by 21 points, but they didn't because Jalen Hurts made two turnovers in the red zone. And he's an incredible runner. And it seems like Oklahoma just has a design play in which Jalen Hurts drops back, waits three seconds, and then runs through a gaping hole. I don't think they're going to get tested by any defense in the Big 12 to sort of expose them, but I I do not believe at this point Oklahoma will have the downfield passing attack that the last two Oklahoma teams have had. I don't know who's going to beat them in the regular season. It's either going to be Baylor or Iowa State. And I don't think Texas will knock them off in the Big 12 championship game either. But I have a hard time seeing Oklahoma contend with the other elite teams. Well,
1: look, that's why, that's why I think it's important to, to clarify what that list was. Right. That is a midseason top four. That does not predict your college football playoffs. Because if I was going to predict my college football playoffs today, I wouldn't have Oklahoma in there. Right. Because I, I think that – and it's not even because I don't think Oklahoma is – like I think if you put Oklahoma in the ACC, I think they're in there. Yeah. Uh, I think if you put them in the Pac-12, they're in there. I, I am not convinced Oklahoma will be able to go unscathed through the Big 12 because I think there's just too many capable teams that that can catch them slipping on, on any given Saturday. Um, that said, they had, what, three, four turnovers against Texas, uh, a couple of them in the red zone, one in the end Two zone. Two in the red zone, yeah. Uh, and they outgained Texas by almost double yards per play. Yeah. And they still – Kind of cruise, de-
2: yeah, it, it was the most lopsided seven-point margin in that rivalry history. My last point on Oklahoma, their defense was incredible, and their defense won in that game. The part about them going unscathed, and I guess I'm you know, contradicting myself, of course your defense gets up for the Red River rivalry. Does your defense get up for TCU or Iowa State or Baylor or Oklahoma State and Bedlam? Probably Bedlam. But that defense, is, that defense pitched a perfect game and saved its offense because if that defense doesn't play the the way they did Saturday, Texas wins by 14. So just something to watch going forward. Does Oklahoma's defense come to play every Saturday?
0: Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, and Oklahoma are only four of the 12 remaining undefeated teams, so a lot can change between now and the playoff. Let's move on and finish up our awards segment with the biggest surprise.
1: So uh, biggest surprise, you can go a lot of different ways here, but I went with Wisconsin because last year we thought Wisconsin was supposed to be a college ball playoff contender. National title type contender, dark horse, right? And they disappointed us. They didn't look that impressive. They had a rough year. Uh, this year, we went back to underestimating them, and I think everyone so, sort of expected an eight and four kind of season again. Um, man, this team looks all the way real. Um, y- you could you could make a case. You know, north the Northwestern game, they were a little sluggish, um, and and that game got a little ugly. Even though there was never any doubt they were going to win it, but Northwestern has a way of doing that to teams. But you could make a case that Wisconsin should be two. If not for that Northwestern game, you could make a case Wisconsin should be one. They've looked that impressive through the first half of the season, uh, and I just think that's, that is that is a, a very pleasant surprise. Uh, this is a team that can challenge Ohio State. This is a team that has arguably the best defense in the country. Yeah, and maybe Jack, one of the best ever. And Jack Cohn, at quarterback, is now looking like he's – He's looking like what they wanted Alex Hornybrook to be the last couple of years. He's still not some dynamic talent back there, but he seems very comfortable, very calm. He can complete he's very efficient and accurate and that's kind of all you need to be competitive with that Wisconsin this season running. That's, game. What,
2: that's what we said in the preseason. Just be a guy Jack Cohn four shutouts for
1: Wisconsin's defense,
2: four touchdowns allowed. Statistically the best defense since the 1960s. Like I I cannot I know we're a few weeks away but Ohio State versus Wisconsin is going to be nuts. Yep. And maybe I'm getting too excited. It might be like 10-3, to 3, but it's going to be nuts. Right. If you like defensive battles, it should be good. I really that don't. Wisconsin defense
0: has scored just as many touchdowns as it's allowed for. Really, That's probably the most impressive Wisconsin stat I've seen so far this year. All right. So it's been one year since the advent of the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, to celebrate, I guess, we took
4: a look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. One year ago, college sports were altered by the advent of the NCAA transfer portal. The portal made it so players could transfer schools without having to get permission from their universities first, essentially becoming recruits all over again. Nearly 2,000 FBS football players have entered the transfer portal in the past year, and so far we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good examples are Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields, quarterbacks who joined new teams and became immediate contenders. Both signal callers are Heisman hopefuls, leading championship caliber teams. The bad examples involved early enrollees, particularly five-star freshman Bru McCoy, who transferred twice in the spring, and former top 247 recruit Chris Steele, who fled Florida for USC with the help of the portal. The ugly examples have mostly spawned from transfer portal drama, from which no one is safe. Whether you're a national championship contender like the Clemson Tigers were when Kelly Bryant left the team with intentions to transfer in the middle of last season, or a struggling program like the Tennessee Volunteers, who saw multiple players flee for the portal after a 1-3 start this season. The drama can strike any team at any time. So where will the transfer portal take us from here? The NCAA hasn't embraced full-on free agency just yet, but the past year has certainly brought us much closer. With student athletes taking more control of the game, they will likely be the ones who determine where the portal takes us next.
0: Yesterday, Antonio Alfano, the former number one overall player in the top 247, entered the transfer portal officially. He's leaving Alabama before he ever even really suited up for them. He is the 11th composite five-star to transfer in the portal era. Is the portal, has it been good or bad for college football in one year's time?
1: It's great. I think it's awesome. Um, Free agency?
2: Yeah. I like it
1: too. Look, I mean, everyone wants to say – Here's one of the lines that bothers me about the transfer portal is like, oh, we're teaching kids to just quit. We're teaching kids to give up and um, we shouldn't be encouraging that and, and what have you. Look, we're not teaching them anything. We're giving kids an opportunity to make a decision. And if you have a son that is in a college football program and he has that inclination to quit or give up or go into the transfer portal and you don't believe in that and you think that that's a bad decision, parent him. Help him, guide him. You know th- these kids can still make decisions. If it's the wrong decision, stay away from it. If it's the right decision, get in there. But but the bottom line is, it gives them options. It, it doesn't it, it doesn't lock them in to situations that we don't really have the first hand knowledge uh, of how good or bad they may be. Antonio Alfano. You know what? That's that like that's a guy that that seems to have just showed up on college campus and hadn't been that interested in football. Right. Um, and and so the fact that the transfer portal there, I don't think that that has any difference one way or the other on on what his success rate was going to be. Uh, he's just happens to be a guy that you know didn't like the work at Alabama. Didn't seem like Alabama's last
2: two top rated signees from each respective class. Iyabi and Noma 2018. They both entered the transfer portal. I think in some cases you look at these kids and you're like you might be making the wrong decision. I trust if Yabi Anoma had stayed at Alabama, I trust them to develop him more as an NFL player than he would be at Houston. And wherever Antonio Alfano goes if he decides to keep playing college football, whether it's back home to Rutgers or wherever, I would have still taken Alabama's development process over anybody else.
1: Yeah, maybe, but uh, but you know you never know though. And it maybe it's just a different setting, a different personalities mesh better with in different areas. But like Oluwalu Beduko, sure. The the, uh, Betuk, the five star outside linebacker defensive end that just was was just wasting away on the bench at USC, goes to to Illinois and look when he showed up in Illinois I wasn't I wasn't optimistic that he was going to make an impact because if if you're a five star and you haven't made an impact yet at it, a place like USC that has that kind of development then like you're probably just a bust but here he is he shows up in Illinois he's like leading the nation in tackles for loss so I, I just think it's the, the, for us i think as as consumers and fans of college football the other factor involved here is it i think it allows us to see teams at their best like i sure. think it allows us i think i think it scatters the best players around the country to to the opportunities that are out there and as as just consumers of the sport like i, I think it I think it's a good thing. Well, your number one team in the country would look a
2: lot differently if Tate Martell was their quarterback. So, anyways.
1: That's true, yes.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll see where the transfer portal takes us from here, but I think we can all agree through the first year it's been quite a wild ride and pretty interesting to follow. Let's head to the corner now, Connor's corner, find out what's going on in the comment section.
3: Yeah, so uh, since we're talking transfer portal, uh, let's hit Sam's question. He asked, would Georgia be undefeated with Justin Fields still a QB?
1: No, I don't think so. Well, look, No, I mean, I don't know if Justin Fields is inserted. I guess that's a tough question to answer. Like, is Justin Fields inserted in that South Carolina game? Do they win? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Probably, I guess. Like, but I, I just think that, that, that changes the whole dynamic of what this team is. He's a totally different player. Does Justin Fields maybe slip up somewhere else that Jake Fromm hasn't? I think that's a possibility, too. The bottom line is Jake Fromm is a better fit for what Georgia is doing offensively. I think Georgia is a better team with Jake Fromm than it would be with Justin Fields. And conversely, I think Ohio State is a better team with Justin Fields than it would be with Jake Fromm. So this is, I mean, just talk about Transfer Portal, this is a great example of two guys being in better situations for themselves and for the teams.
2: Um, I'm a Jake Fromm guy, and I don't really mean this with any disrespect, but does the fact that Jake Fromm would be a better, quarter, better quarterback in Georgia's system than Justin Fields. Does that give you any long-term concerns about Georgia's direction? Because while the rest of college football, I mean, if Nick Saban is opening things up, as he did a few years ago, and you're not, like, I don't see how you can compete. I feel like you need a dynamic quarterback in this day and age to win a national championship. Jake Coker was the last non undynamic quarterback to win a title. That feels like a lot longer than four years ago.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I don't disagree. Like, I think Georgia's offense – uh, right now, I mean, I think you have to kind of recruit perfectly for it to work. Yep. Um, well, for it to work on like a national championship level. Um, and maybe they will. I mean, Georgia might just recruit that well. And uh, if you can recruit that well, then obviously you provide a different challenge than most teams are facing on a week-in, week-out basis. Uh, and and so it can work. But I think it's a, I think it's a fair point and – something that
3: George is going to have to really balance and straddle here for a few years. Uh, we, we talked about our midseason top four, not a whiff of the Pac-12. Ryan Loveless says, what about Oregon? Why are we overlooked?
1: Oh. Why about Oregon? Why are we overlooked for the playoffs? I mean, look. Wait, if Oregon, they're
2: not even undefeated. If
1: Oregon wins out, if Oregon wins out, no. I, I still think that they would have to, like, let's say Oregon wins out and Notre Dame wins out. Who are you taking there? Oregon, because they have a conference championship. Okay. If or- what does
2: Notre Dame's marquee win if they went out?
1: If, Bad Michigan? If Oregon wins out and Oklahoma goes 12-1 and 1 with one loss. What's their loss? It's a Big 12 championship game loss. <laughs> oh To um, so Iowa State.
2: Oklahoma, because they would have beaten... Well, it depends on how good Texas, Baylor, and Iowa State will. If, I
1: don't know. If Oregon wins out and LSU goes 11-1 and 1 with a lost Alabama. LSU. 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 LSU.
2: I don't see Oregon making it. I don't see it either. I don't see it. There, there's this marquee wins. Too many two other
1: good, too many too many other good, good options. Too many good teams. Hey, I look, certainly don't think Notre here, Dame's hey, going to make it. This, here's, here's the caveat. If Oregon just starts boat racing people, as it and, is Friday. And and it will, like if they go and beat Washington by 20, all right, now all of a sudden I think we can change the narrative and start discussing Oregon in a different light.
2: Only problem there is who's going to be paying attention. It's a serious issue that the Pac-12 is facing.
3: For whatever it's worth, 538 gives Oregon a 65% chance of making the playoff if they win out, which is like... Seems like kind of high, but it's like a coin flip for a one-loss conference champion. It's kind of speaks poorly of the, of the Pac-12, I think. Um, so um, uh, Joshua Blanton, keeping it moving with the questions, Joshua Blanton said, um, Joe Burrow did that to Florida at home. Do you really think he'll be able to play like that in Tuscaloosa?
1: I mean, it's not as if Alabama's defense is some immovable force uh, that that were that we're used to seeing um he's he played well on the road against Texas. I think Alabama's defense is probably better than Texas's defense I would hope so um, but <laughs> ultimately like w- yeah like we haven't seen a bad performance out of Joe burrow so until he shows us one I'm not saying he's going to put up forty two on Alabama, but he might I think the difference is this year as far as lSU
2: Alabama's lSU's receivers have a talent advantage I, in my opinion over Alabama. Alabama's secondary. Like, I think they can win those one on one matchups. Terrace Marshall will be back for that game. They can win those one on one matchups. I trust Joe Burrow to get them the ball. I think he's going to, I think that's going to be an absolute show, like a track meet. That'll be Big 12 football in Ryan Denny Stadium.
1: That, game's gonna be, that, that game is going to be, that game is going to be about the most heavily anticipated game. Like, I, since the uh, last, since the last, since the six, was it was six nine entry. game? Yeah. yeah, it was horrible. That, this yeah. game's going to be a little more entertaining than yeah. that one. Yeah.
3: Andrew Wheeler wants to know what is the biggest improvement from the Oklahoma defense from last year to this year? Pressure on the quarterback would be my take. Nine
2: sacks. Uh, linebacker Kenneth Murray is playing with his absolute hair on fire. Uh, he just was a massive disruptor. And their defensive line is talented, and those guys are waking up Neville Gallimore. They look like a totally different unit, Like, they, and they're not even missing tackles either.
1: Yeah, they're just playing more, with more confidence, I think, too, which is, I mean, part of that is is just – feeling success, tasting it a little bit. Because um, they've always been talented, more more talented than their defense has shown. And so I think you got to give a lot of credit to Alex Grinch for getting these guys to, yeah. to play that well. Yeah.
3: John Blant wants to know, which two teams do we think will be competing in the Pac-12 championship and who do you think will win? Oregon, uh, Utah?
1: Oregon? Uh, I guess, well, I mean... This weekend's
0: games might decide I know. That's, that's right. exactly that's right. Point.
1: I mean, it's... it's, it's I guess Arizona State could beat uh, Utah. And then it's, it's either Arizona State or Utah against either Oregon or, Uth- or Washington. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that we'll, talk, we'll have some picks later, but I think there's Washington's got a chance this week. Sure. sure. Yeah. What would be the best matchup, the
0: matchup that you'd like to see?
1: Probably Oregon. Um, Oregon-Utah would, yeah. would be the, I think, ideal matchup for the Pac-12.
3: Uh Earl says we we're talking about our di- biggest disappointment of the year being UCLA earlier. Earl says Nebraska should be in the running for this consideration.
1: Yeah, I, I, I hear you. Uh I think Nebraska, but that's more to me the Nebraska deal is more about unreasonable expectations um whereas we're not asking for a lot out of UCLA. We're we're asking for just progression. Hey, Nebraska's better like they're they're at least they're improved from last year, um, from a record standpoint. You know, I, I guess,
2: yes. sure. I mean, yeah, they're not but I'm zero just, and six,
1: right? So that's. But they shouldn't have ever. They, I, I,
2: you know, maybe we take some blame for Nebraska's expectations. We don't have this sort of clout, but I, I did expect Nebraska to win the Big Ten West. I, I know we talk about this every week, and it's sort of like, were our expectations too high? Were they not? I mean, guys, Adrian Martinez was in the preseason the number three. Heisman candidate as far as odds go. They had an improving defense. They had a recruiting class adding offensive skill talent. Their offensive line was going to be better. I am absolutely disappointed in Nebraska.
1: I'm just saying, though, like, Nebraska currently, I would argue that Colorado is their only truly bad loss. Minnesota looks like a good team. They lost Ohio State's killing to everyone. They beat Northwestern. They beat Illinois. Those teams are not good teams, but here's where we find out if they're good. Can they beat Indiana? Can they beat Purdue? Can they beat Maryland and Iowa, like those are the teams they have to be able to beat. Um, and so I was just saying, like, sure. say it's not beating anybody. They scored an average of
2: three of eight points a game in the last three weeks. I'm disappointed.
1: Yeah, you can you can be disappointed. You, you're allowed to be disappointed. They're just not more disappointing than UCLA, objectively.
3: Barton, I know earlier you said you don't think UCLA is going to fire Chip Kelly because of the performance this season, but if I don't know, Chip Kelly decides he's beating his head against the wall in L.A. and wants to move on to something else. Somehow the UCLA job comes open. Michelle wants to know, is Urban Meyer a viable candidate for that vacancy?
1: I think so. I mean, it's all about what Urban Meyer, because I I don't think Urban Meyer takes a job he can't win a national title at. So he shouldn't take that job. Do you think Urban Meyer can't win a national title at UCLA? No, I don't. So you, but I assume you think he could at USC. Yeah, because I, so I think, think, I think so the hall whatever. would be. T-
2: Look, when Urban took a year off at ESPN and jumped to Ohio State, he jumped to a program with incredible talent. Braxton Miller was already there. D- Look, the the road at UCLA would include like a rebuild that lasts at least three years. Urban Meyer does not have time for that. Urban Meyer can take whatever job he wants in college football this offseason. That job's USC. Okay, I don't think he would right, win a now, national title at USC. No,
1: all right, let's. I think no, I'm not saying he would rather have UCLA over USC. I, I, I absolutely think that he would want the USC job. If USC decided for some reason that and maybe they're scared off by the Zach Smith stuff, or, you know they just hey, they want to go a different direction. They want to go James Franklin. They want to go whatever. They make a different hire.'s got a, that's not on the table for him. It's not like there's going to be a bunch of other blue blood jobs sure. open. Would he take UCLA? I tend to think that he would see potential in that program and would be willing to take it. Yeah. That's a guess. I mean, I have no idea. Because it's, but, uh, that, maybe that's a good guess because you look at other blue bloods across
2: the country, and I don't really see many opening up. He would not take Florida State because of his Florida connections. Maybe one concern is if Lincoln Riley ever does leave Oklahoma – I don't really want to think about, you know, them going Bob Soup's Lincoln Riley, Urban Meyer, but that was... (laughs) Can I catch a break?
0: (laughs) Keep uh, commenting, dropping your questions in the comments section. Again, a reminder, we're looking for a fan of the week, and we'll feature that fan very shortly. But first... Uh, Speaking of Urban Meyer, his former team, Ohio State, is playing in a rare Friday night spot against Northwestern. I caught up with Dave Biddle of Bucknuts on 24-7 Sports this week to find out why that's somewhat controversial for this week's Boiling Point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Boiling Point, where we put our experts to the test by asking them a few pointed questions. Thanks to a Big Ten scheduling initiative, number four Ohio State will play Northwestern on Friday night this week. With me today to discuss Friday night football is Dave Biddle of Bucknuts on 24-7 Sports. Dave, head coach Ryan Day said this week he's sure local high school coaches don't appreciate Ohio State playing on Friday night. Was that comment a nod to local high school coaches as a way for Day to align himself with them as opposed to those who make the Big Ten schedule?
5: Absolutely, Kevin. I really think Ryan Day is probably indifferent about this whole thing, but I, I do think he actually sympathizes with the high school coaches. And of course, the main thing here is trying to have a great relationship with the coaches in Ohio, which he's done a great job of forging those relationships. So, yeah, I think he wanted to kind of, you know, throw those guys a bone and say, "Hey, I get it. This is not, uh, you know, there's a tons of, of Buckeye fans across the state, and you know, Friday night football is what rules, you know, for high school football." And, you know, the Buckeyes are kind of intruding on that territory. But as Ryan Day said, I thought he handled it beautifully, Kevin. He said, you know, it was out of our control, it was anything, you know, we just we don't make the schedule. And, um, but he does understand where the high school coaches and fans and parents and everybody else who, who's making a stink about it, he understands where they're, where they're coming from.
0: Dave, this scheduling initiative is coming down from the Big Ten. And it's not like the Buckeyes need more time in the spotlight. When the conference was putting this plan together, did Ohio State have any say in the final decision?
5: Yeah, they did, Kevin. Um, if you look at what Michigan did, Michigan just said no. We won't know we want no part of this at all. Ohio State acquiesced to a degree. They said we will do it not every year and we will not host a Friday night game. Um, so this was kind of a compromise, I guess, if you want to look at it, where Ohio State's not going to do this every year, and they're not going to use a home game uh, for a Friday night game. And you know, really, I think a lot—it's almost overblown here, Kevin. It, it, you know, in fact, it's just overblown. Period. I don't think it's almost overblown because you know, the Ohio State's coming off a bye. It's not like they have just five days of rest between games. Um, I get the feeling that the players and coaches don't mind. And furthermore, for the high school football fans, in one respect, I get where they're coming from. But Friday night high school football games, at least here in Ohio, kick off at 7 p.m. Eastern. For those who don't know, Ohio is an eastern time zone. I think a lot of people across the country don't realize Ohio is eastern time zone. And Ohio State's game's not going to kick off until about 8.40. So a lot of high school games are over by 9.30. You know, worst case scenario for some of these fans, they'll get home in time to see the second half of the game. It's a one-time thing. I don't think it's that big of a deal.
0: Dave, thank you so much for stopping by. Don't forget to tune in for Ohio State at Northwestern on Friday night. In the meantime, follow Dave on Twitter and read his work over at Bucknuts on 24-7 Sports. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pick-up this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. All right, you guys are going to have to help me out a little bit here because as a general sports fan, I see Ohio State playing Friday night, and I think, awesome. So, Barton, help me understand this from the perspective of local high school coaches in Ohio. Why is this even an issue?
1: Well, I mean, they're – they got, they're got playing games Friday nights, and uh, that you know if people are going to watch their games, go to their games, then it doesn't help to have competition from the biggest flagship program in the state. And so it's uh, it's just a little bit of – it intrudes on their territory. High school football is, is – Friday night is high school football, I and mean, that's what it is. And uh, I think in the places where high school football is really important, that is sort of recognized as a sacred ground – um, Ohio is one of those states where high school football is pretty important. It's interesting that, that in the Pac-12, this has not really ever been an issue, despite the
2: fact that California has you know, great high school recruiting prospects. I think maybe the vibes out there is a little different. Yes, Ohio is one of those states where this is sort of sacrilegious. If they tried this in Texas, there would be an uproar, and uprising. I think Ryan Day is obviously, I, I like what Biddle said, throwing the coaches a bone. Ohio State doesn't really care if it plays on Friday or Saturday. Ohio State, the high school recruiting connections of the coaches are so important. Uh, I think the most interesting thing here is that Michigan, which is like, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it, which is sort of par for the course for Jim Harbaugh.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And Ohio State said they wouldn't host any of these games. Uh, They're playing at Northwestern this Friday. Also interesting, they're not even going to play this game on Fox Sports 1 anymore because of the baseball rainout yesterday. So now they got the uh alcs on and they're gonna play on big 10 network yeah. now so i think that's kind of interesting what do you say we move on now to take Palooza, which is when Bart- uh, barton and
2: trey deliver their boldest takes we get to find out who's right all Trey, you want to guess something? yeah so i guess this one is something that maybe in three years you guys can check me on this i keep making all these takes that are really far out far in away. yeah But it has something to do with this season. I think Jaden Daniels, the Arizona State freshman quarterback, will be the number one NFL draft pick in 2022. He's already got three game-winning drives in six games. He was the number one dual-threat quarterback in the top 247. Barton's crew loved him. Six foot three, 175 pounds, needs to add a lot of weight, but he has sort of a Deshaun Watson profile, to steal a comparison from Clint Brewster, one of our recruiting guys who we had on the show last year. I think Jaden Daniels, Especially when you look at kind of what else is out there, and it's very, very, very early as far as other true freshman quarterbacks. If you're going to assume a quarterback's going number one, I would take Jaden Daniels over Sam Howell as far as an NFL guy, uh, over Hank Bachmeier, uh, over Bo Nix. So that's that's my take, and let's see how I do in April of 2022. I, I, I agree. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. I think that's uh I mean, That's a fair take. Um, and uh, I mean, the the I guess the. Probably the the best competition we might not have even seen yet. Yeah, Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, your boy, oh. still sitting on the bench over there, ready to come out of the out of the stable. Uh, so that would be, I think, the, the 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 fly in the ointment for that one. Great. Um, you ready for my take? Yeah. What is it? So Michigan is what are they five and one right now? Um, they're gonna finish eight and four. So, explain to me what that... So, basically, that means that with the six games remaining, they're going to lose half of them. Okay. Um, One, this weekend, Penn State. Uh, There's an option of certainly next weekend, Notre Dame. They could go at Maryland as a tricky spot. Michigan State rivalry game. Big sandwich spot there at Indiana Mm -hmm. between Michigan State and then Ohio State, which I think a lot of people probably expect them to lose. So, uh, I think that... uh, the disappointing season continues for Michigan. I'm kind of getting ahead of this right now. This only have one loss, um, one L in the in, in the loss column, but uh, I'm still still not sold that this Michigan team's got what has got what it takes.
2: I'm wondering if eight and four though is almost like face saving. Like that does not sound given how we thought what we were thinking when Michigan was down 35-0 to Wisconsin or when Michigan needed overtime to beat Army. Yeah. I'm just thinking like seven, five, six, 5, 6, and 6. Eight, 8 and 4 would be a disappointment, but Fair. it doesn't get anyone paying a $15 million buyout for Jim Harbaugh.
1: Jim but Harbaugh's it does raise gonna... serious
2: concerns about next year when they lose these receivers, when they lose Shea Patterson, who hasn't been good, and when they lose their offensive line and they probably lose some defensive pieces
1: well, too. Well, maybe next year is is uh, the year that the offense starts clicking. Maybe next year is the year that Josh Gaddis just... has a year under his belt. Can, you know, the... The the offense takes root, so maybe you know it's just like Wisconsin this year. Hey, maybe sometimes it's the year you don't expect, but they're good. Regardless, I'm done picking Michigan in the college
2: football. If
0: eight and four doesn't cost Jim Harbaugh his job, and I don't think it would, what does it do to the offseason narrative? Are we just gonna do wait till next year again? Maybe next year, because that's what it's been the last couple of years.
1: I mean, Jim Har, look, Michigan is they're they're always just a victim of their expectations. This is this is still a program, even if they go eight and four. It's a, it's a very healthy program. They're, they are uh, capable of winning big games. Uh, they're capable of recruiting anyone in the country and, and going and winning a battle. They're, you know, 10, 10 wins is, is pretty much a standard season for them. So um, it's just sort of odd that, that Michigan has this really, um, these, these expectations that, that really cripple uh the the perception of that program year and year out. Yeah, we talked about that. He
2: has three ten winnings three ten win seasons since he's got there. And the fifteen years before that, they had only had three as well. But it would be disappointing. And I know Michigan's stealing. I know they don't recruit as well as you one would think because there's some institutional things there and it's you know a tough place to recruit, I guess. But eight and four on the this season they were the Big Ten favorites. That would be disappointing. One thing that maybe could help them, Barton, your prediction only accounts
0: for the regular season. Maybe they win a bowl Nine, game. Harbaugh hasn't won one since his first season wow. at Michigan. So that's it's, it's due. He's due. All right. I told you we would be doing a fan of the week, and it's time to introduce that fan. It is oh. Jamie Paul who asks, if Joe Burrow was at Ohio State, who
2: starts, him or Fields?
1: Oh, that's a now best fan of the week question we've ever had. last week. Best fan of the week question we ever had.
2: Well, I hadn't even thought about. it. I mean, obviously Justin Fields wouldn't have gone there if Joe Burrow.
1: Yeah, but let's just say Joe just, Let's just say Joe Burrow's there. Joe Burrow. And they're going through. Do you think Joe Burrow would have beat him out in the in the spring and summer to to win that job? Because that's ultimately what it boils down to. Because we wouldn't have even really mm. like mm. You, you would assume that both guys, when they get the job, would be good. So who wins the job? You know, probably Joe Burrow. Yeah, actually, you know
2: what? I'm gonna go Fields because they did the whole I know look Joe Burrow is that athletic I'm not discrediting him there but they did the whole Dwayne Haskins thing last year put up monster numbers but they couldn't unlock the running game because no one was respecting the RPO in the zone read so with going Fields because of his legs
1: I think Joe, Although Joe Burrow is a better quarterback I think Joe the, the problem with the question is that Fields probably would have never transferred if Joe Burrow was there right so it, but if Justin Fields somehow got tempted to transfer I think I think probably the nod would have gone to Joe Burrow.
2: So he would have gotten martelled, would have th- gone thinking, I'm going to go win this job. Oh, wait, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm a Martel's Martell's third string guy. Great question, that Jamie. Great. Thank
0: you for getting it in. And he uh, has already responded and says, nice answer. So I'm uh, <laughs> glad that we got a good question responded and a good Jamie. answer. Jamie, 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 who asked the question. Oh,
1: there we go. Thanks, Jamie. All
0: right, you guys ready to pick some games? Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, it's time already. It's, oh, my gosh. Picking time. Let's see how we did last Hi. week. Let's take a look at the records, first of all. A reminder, I'm picking for Josh this week, so these are nice. Josh's picks. So I gotta, I'm gotta, in charge of keeping him ahead of Trey. Yeah, man, this
1: is
2: a battle up top. Trey, okay. how's it going back there? In I'm the only back? four <laughs> games back, and that's because I keep picking Texas even when I don't think we're going to win. Hey, this week,
1: there is a there is a lot of opportunity <laughs> for some, some up or down trends. You don't need to like, patronize
2: me. I won last year.
1: I'm not patronizing you. I'm just saying this is where the rubber meets the road Hi. this week. Let's do it.
0: All right, let's get us started with number nine, Florida, at South Carolina. The Gators are a five-point favorite. Connor, who are you going with in this game?
3: Yeah, it it took some emotional discipline for me to not get too fired up about South Carolina beating Georgia in that game. Only one offensive touchdown for the Gamecocks all game. I think they'll have similar issues against Florida, uh, but probably, odds are, won't have a defensive touchdown to give them that extra boost, too. So, I'm going Gators. Connor, 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 Connor.
2: I'm going South Carolina. I think Ryan Helensky, I know he's a little bit banged up. I think he's going to give it a go. I think he's probable. Florida's defensively kind of wounded, and both teams had massively emotional games last Saturday. I just think South Carolina at home with the momentum uh, kind of gives them the edge over Florida, which is probably a little bit beaten up after that LSU game. Gamecocks.
1: Gutsy pick. Yeah. Gutsy but I, that's pick. The
2: thing, those are the things I have to do here.
1: Um... Wow okay I I look I I still think Florida I think Florida still wins this game I think when you look at the game last week against the the, I mean I think South Carolina really kind of had to pull a rabbit out of his hat to win that one um three turnovers uncharacteristically from Jake Fromm uh and and I think that this Florida team to me has been last few weeks one of the more trustworthy teams in terms of just showing up playing good ball um I think they have a good game plan I think that uh I am skeptical that South Carolina is going to be able to move the ball effectively on that tiger Grantham defense, so it can be the Gators.
0: Josh, being the SEC East guy he is, who do you think he picked?
1: Uh, Florida. Yeah, he, he doesn't like yeah. South Carolina. He yeah, picked
0: Florida, that is correct. Uh, North Carolina at Virginia Tech. The Tar Heels are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Connor, take it away.
3: Yeah, the ACC, man, tough conference to have any idea what's going on with a lot of those teams. I think North Carolina's probably the higher upside play here. Like on a given day, they could probably turn in the best performance. So I'm going with the Tar Heels.
2: I think it's going to be a big week for North Carolina. They're going to get a five-star defensive end named Desmond Evans on Friday.
3: North Carolina's going to win this game. And the Sporting
2: News projects the Tar Heels in the Orange Bowl. So, you know, everything's coming up, Mac.
1: Uh, yeah, I just I like the way this offense for Virginia Tech has has shifted once they got a more mobile quarterback <clears throat> than Hendon Hooker. Uh, I think that they they found a little juice with a win a couple weeks ago against Miami on the road, um, and I think North Carolina a little banged up right now. I'm I'm gonna go Virginia Tech here with the with the win. Wow, whoa,
0: Josh is going with North Carolina in this one. Up next, it's the first of two games between ranked Pac-12 opponents. It's number 12, Oregon. At number 25, Washington, the Ducks are three-point favorites.
3: Yeah, I can't remember the last time I picked Washington in a big game and that worked out well for me, so I am going with Oregon in that incredible defense. I think the Oregon
2: blowout win over Colorado might be a little bit of fool's gold. They turned over Steven Montez on like three three consecutive drives leading to a big blowout. However, I think Oregon wins in a pretty interesting quarterback showcase between t- two guys who could be number one overall or you know late first round picks.
1: Yeah, uh, this is a fascinating game. I, I think. When I look at this matchup, one, I think it hurts Oregon that Jacob Breland, their their tight end, is now out for the season. That that was a real safety valve for Justin Herbert. I think he's he's struggled this year finding targets uh, that he could really trust and and get comfortable with. Um, I think you've got a coaching matchup with Chris Peterson against Mario Cristobal. Peterson being at home here in this spot. I give the advantage there to to Washington. Um, And I just think with a home spot here, this is... This is Jacob Beeson's time to step up. I'm not saying I trust him to do it. I say, but I but I think he will. Uh, I'm going to Washington with the home win. We're at three different
2: picks here. I mean, this this thing could swing. Josh is going with Oregon. Moving on, number two. <laughs> we should have had like Josh provide like a word, just, like, an adjective. <laughs> yeah. For each pick,
0: <laughs> number two, LSU at Mississippi State. LSU is favored to win by 18 and a half points.
3: Yeah, I mean, LSU's three-score favorites on the road. I mean, there are games on LSU's schedule where you could squint and maybe see an upset outside of you know Alabama and Auburn being uh, some big scary ones. But um, I don't, I don't see how you come up with the idea that Mississippi State is going to win this game.
2: I'm actually calling it right now. Barton's going to be like, why are we picking this game? Uh, it's LSU. Sorry, man. Uh, I, I thought it could be sort of a, a tough game in Starkville. A lot of Cowbells going. Maybe LSU takes a half to kind of get going, but Tigers.
1: I, I dare someone to pick this upset. I mean, just this. Crazier is, things have happened. No, nothing crazy. Nothing has ever happened. South Carolina, as crazy as Georgia this. was a bigger spread. No, I. Well, look, that. Hmm. I, obviously, hmm. there's been hmm. bigger upsets. I'm not. But I. I You could envision that last week. There is no scenario where I can envision Mississippi State beating LSU this weekend. And even though LSU might go in there a little bit uh, tired from that game last week, Mississippi State's just not been very good this year. They're not going to be able to score enough to keep up.
0: Josh is not going with the upset pick. He is picking LSU to win this one. Up next, an interesting one, maybe a bit of a litmus test when it comes to picks. Florida State at Wake Forest. Wake Forest is a two-point favorite.
3: Yeah, Florida State, another ACC team that with some pretty some volatility in their performance. Wake Forest has been steadier for me. They're at home. I'm going with the Deacons.
2: Yeah. So Wake Forest quarterback Jamie Newman's probable day to day. I know Florida State got canned last week by Clemson, but I'm going to Florida State. I think they have just I, the talent advantage here is superior.
1: I like Dave Clawson over Willie Taggart. Sure. Right I, now. Uh, and I think look, the, the closer this game has approached. The less confident I get in this pick. Same. Um, I think this is a really scary game, uh, but I'm going to go with Wake Forest. Uh, this this is going to mean a lot to them.
0: And there was a litmus test. You went talent. You went coaching. Uh, Josh is going with Wake Forest to win that game. Moving on now. Josh is a big coaching guy. I love that we're picking Temple or Temple game twice in a row, two weeks in a row. Temple at number 19. SMU. SMU is a 17 or seven and a half point favorite.
3: Yeah, me picking Temple last week helped me stay up at the, at the at the top there. So, I, you know, I you could question my decision making here, but I feel some pick loyalty to Temple for what they did for me last week, and I'm going with the Owls. Obviously, last week's Temple
2: uh, game versus Memphis was a subject of some controversy on the show, in which we both thought we picked Temple, but we are wrong. <laughs> uh, I'm actually going to SMU. Former Longhorn Shane Buchel is doing a really nice job in Dallas. SMU had a week to rest after a crazy overtime game against Tulsa. Uh, I'm
1: going SMU as well. I, I just think Temple yep. plays a lot better at home. Uh, this one's on the road. I, I do think Temple could cover this spread. I think it'll probably be a close game. Um, but I think SMU, they've got a tough stretch ahead of them. Um, I think they eke they, they this one out before they drum up another loss somewhere down the road. Great.
0: Josh is going with Temple
1: oh (laughs) he has family up in uh, pennsylvania
0: there he goes uh some big 12 action number 18 baylor at oklahoma state (laughs) oklahoma state's a three and a half point favorite
3: (laughs) yeah baylor you know they're still undefeated i've been going with them they scored me a big victory against trey on this show here so i'm I'm sticking with the bears i think it's i I like baylor and I, i feel like this undefeated run here is doomed to, to end pretty soon here, but I'm going to go with them one more week against uh, OK State.
2: If I reverse jinxed Baylor a few weeks ago into an undefeated regular season and a Big 12 <laughs> conference game appearance, I'm going to be pretty upset as my sister went through and we have a friendly rivalry. I'm going to Oklahoma State, trusting Vegas, trusting Oklahoma State's offense against a Baylor defense that's very good, but lost starting linebacker Clay Johnston.
1: Yeah, I think that that uh, injury is going to hurt. I, I think this Oklahoma State team is they're going to knock someone off, if not a few people off. I, uh, I think this is a spot that Oklahoma State's got enough firepower to, to get it done.
0: Josh picks Oklahoma State. Uh, moving on, it's the other game between two ranked Pac-12 teams. In number 17, Arizona State at number 13, Utah. The Utes are 13 and a half point favorites.
3: Yeah, I like, I like Arizona State, but not nearly enough to contradict a two-touchdown spread at home for Utah. I'm going with the Utes. Same here, uh, Jaden Daniels, you know how I feel about him, but this Utah
1: team's
2: really getting going, Utes.
1: Strikes me as a big spread. Um, I, I feel like Arizona State's gonna make this a really competitive game. Jaden Daniels has played well and has experienced uh, hostile road environments before. Uh, that said, Zach Moss is back, running well again. I, I think that uh, I think that Utah wins.
0: Josh picks Arizona State wow. with a little note that says can't pick against term. So. Good for that's for him. That's Josh, man. He's, he's breaking Jeff. it up, breaking up the Utah sweep there. All right, two more games to go. Number fourteen, Boise State is a six and a half point favorite at BYU.
3: Yeah, when I was coming into this, I was I was like, oh, I'm gonna like go BYU here, but uh, I I didn't know that BYU has been unraveling the past several weeks, losing to Toledo and South Florida. So I don't love Boise State here on the road, right? Yeah, on the road uh, against BYU, but. I'm going with the Broncos.
2: Yeah, I was trying to trip you guys up uh, because Boise State's quarterback, Hank Bachmeyer is probably not going to play after a big hit he took last week. But BYU also has quarterback injury issues of its own. I'm going to uh, Boise State, but I was hoping one of these guys would kind of get uh, tricked up.
1: It's a tricky spot um, because Provo is a tough place to play. You mentioned BYU is, is having some some quarterback question marks as well right now. I I think this would probably be a closer game than than people realize. I I would be tempted to play BYU plus the points, but I can't get there on the win, so I'm going Boise. Can't trip up Josh either. He's going Boise State as well.
0: Final game, number 16 Michigan at number 7 Penn State. The Nittany Lions are nine-point favorites.
3: Yeah, uh, Michigan's offense is just too much of a liability for me to think that they're going to walk into Happy Valley and come out with a win here. Two great defenses,
2: but Penn State's offense is way better than Michigan's. Wide out, come on.
3: Yeah, I mean,
1: the, one of the best atmospheres in all college football. I, I, I think that uh, Penn State's defense is going to turn, get, create some turnovers. Michigan's going to have a hard time running the football. Um, and I, I think at the very least, Penn State's got a couple big plays in them. Uh, K.J. Hamler has uh, got one or two of those, and, and Sean Clifford has really done a good job taking care of the football, and that might just be enough. So I'm going Penn State.
0: Josh is going to round out the sweep with a Penn State pick, and that'll do it for our picks today. Any final thoughts before we wrap up the show here, guys?
2: I get
1: nervous when it's like this marquee game of the week and we all have the
2: same pick. It kind of tells me something's up.
1: Yeah, I'm not as nervous about this one. I saw that coming with the the Auburn-Florida yeah. game a couple weeks ago. I, I would be, I'll be surprised if Michigan wins this game. I really will.
0: All right, well, we will see this weekend. Uh, for Barton Simmons, Trey Scott, Connor Tapp, our entire graphics and production team, I'm Kevin Boyler. Josh Ayler will be back next week. Keep it locked to 24-7 Sports. We're talking your team all the time.